whenever you are, wherever you are, and however you happen to be listening. We are so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC. Shout out to our geeks in sneaks out there using this podcast to get them through a workout or a run. Hey, if you're not a geek in sneaks, why don't you use this as an opportunity to start? Because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week. We're going to get you through. And DLC is delivered the way it's meant to be. And that's completely free thanks to our sponsor this week, Linda. Oh, Linda! DLC is the show all about gaming in its many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff2Ns1T Kanata, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who today and every day is one of the best dads I know, Christian Spicer. Hey, Christian. You might have... You might have just heard her. Hello. Yeah. So it's uh, take your daughter to work day, i.e. Um, we usually have help from a wonderful woman named Sylvina, who is amazing with my daughter. Um, she has a vacation day today and Estelle is hanging out with me in the office, um, currently watching The Little Mermaid. But you might hear her and it's adorable and deal with it. She'll chime in with her opinion on uh, Kirby, which you watched me play and was out with Amanda one day. And Amanda, we know my wife and they're hanging out and Estelle just goes, Mommy, look, Kirby, Kirby. I love Kirby. So she's getting it. She's a gamer. She's a gamer at heart already. Um, We are excited this week. I have a special tabletop time segment coming up that I recorded with Dominic Krapuschetz, the designer of evolution and wits and wagers and say anything. You should definitely be excited about that because that's coming up. But before we get there, oh, we're excited. DLC is always your downloadable Kanata, your downloadable Christian. But this week, DLC stands for diversity looks cool because we have got an awesome advocate for diversity in video games and technology from the gaming looks good and science looks good and spawn on me podcasts. Mr. Sharif Jackson. Welcome, Sharif. Hey, everyone. Very, 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 very happy to be here. Thank you for uh, having me on the show. Yeah, man. Yeah, we're excited to have you. I was on uh, Spawn on Me uh, a while back and and met Sharif for the first time. You are you are a Super Nintendo fan, is my understanding, right? I am. I am. I, I have, uh, you know. You don't like the Nintendo 64? I've been, been a Nintendo <laughs> fan for a while, but I'm not a fan boy, I should say. I, I, I'm... I'm I'm not irrational with my opinion. I'm, I, I try to be very practical about their uh, problems and a fan man pros as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I I am a fan of them as a developer. Absolutely. Awesome. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we're excited to have you. We got lots to talk about this week. It's been actually a really interesting week of news. So we're going to start the show the way we normally do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important story that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by using the hashtag DLCSOTW on Twitter or by visiting our subreddit over at 5 by 5 dlc.reddit.com got a lot of stuff to talk about this week sharif as our guest you get first pick so what would you consider your story of the week sure um so for me um i've always been a huge fan of uh deus ex um Mm. this was one of the uh back in 2000 um i was in college and played a lot of the original Deus Ex with uh, friends and Human Revolution. I also had a great time with a few years ago. So when I heard of the 
trailer for Mankind Divided, um, the new Deus Ex game, um, I was definitely very, very intrigued by this um, and very excited to see um, exactly, you know, how they were going to depict this like new world, if they were going to continue the, the same sort of um, storyline with the protagonist, Adam Jensen, or like maybe they were going to do a future line with the Dentons or like all kind of stuff. Um, so to me, that was definitely this story of the week because it's a franchise that I feel like has really found itself. Um, I feel like the first one was like sort of a, you know, it, it was definitely a, a big hit in terms of, you know, um, people that were really into gaming, but I feel like with human revolution, like it really got out to more of a, you know, more of a mainstream like success. Um, Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping that like this one does as well. Um, especially given that, you know, I feel like that the next gen consoles are still looking for those, you know, games that sort of say like, you know, that we're finally in a new, in a, um, a new generation. So, um, yeah, that is my pick. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a solid pick. I'm definitely excited for mankind divided as well. I really liked human revolution. It certainly was a game with flaws. Uh, notably the boss fights were, were pretty flawed, but I played all the way through human revolution. I gave it a very high, uh, review, very enthusiastic review on the totally rad show at the time. Uh, it's a game I really liked. It is a game that offered a lot of wonderful choices. Uh, you know, you could go stealth, you could go, uh, attack, you could go sort of, uh, uh, charisma and, and talk your way out of things, which is really cool, which is how the original Deus Ex was as well. And I think that it is a game that had a lot going for it. It was a, a really wonderful, uh, system, a really cool aesthetic, that, that awesome sort of golden glow about everything. It was a really neat, uh, you know, Blade Runner-esque vision of the future with all these human augmentation. Uh, I, I liked that game a lot. It just was, was, you know, brought down a little bit by really poorly designed boss fights. And I think that, uh, Eidos Montreal has learned from that. And I'm hoping that this, this new sequel, as you said, rocks on the next gen consoles and looks really cool and and really shows a a progression that way but is also a progression in in terms of how the game uh plays i would say that this is a pretty lengthy debut trailer all cg so we don't have a sense of what the game is going to look or feel like yet but that's you know par for the course these days you get the cg trailer first um were you encouraged by what you saw from the cg trailer i kind of felt like it gave a sense of what the story is going to be, but it it didn't really set itself apart from Human Revolution in any you know in any specific way. What, what did you think of, of the trailer specifically, Sharif? Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with you on that. Um, I think that they did try to keep it a little mysterious, maybe too mysterious, especially for the length of the trailer. Um, I feel like the original Human Revolution trailers did a much better job of sort of setting the environment, but I guess that was more because they were introducing an entirely new world and, you know, and like characters to you. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing that I didn't like about the trailer though, was that I felt like it was a huge focus on violence and combat, um, Mm -hmm. which to me is not the strength of the Deus Ex brand. I mean, like the strength is that, you know, obviously combat is there if you want it, um, but I feel like they didn't really get into some of those things that you mentioned in terms of the stealth, um, in terms of sort of adapting to situations on the go, you know, I mean, like you might go to violence, but like you might also, you know, like a, use a gadget to turn invisible or like right. you might ha- hack into this, uh, computer thing to, um, to, uh, deliver, 
you know, and yourself to an objective. So I, I, I did miss that. Um, but I do have faith that, you know, that this just isn't going to be like action game number five, you know, like, yeah. I, or I hope not. Um, but yeah, I, I think do you have, make a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I do. I I do have confidence though that the boss fights um will be remedied just from, you know, looking at the missing link DLC on on Human Revolution. I feel like they really took a lot of the feedback and they made a boss fight in that in that DLC where you could use, you know, any of your talents that you chose to upgrade. So I'm hoping that that mentality is continued um in this game. Yeah. Christian, were you a fan of Human Revolution? Yeah, I think it's, you know, easy to be excited for this game. The first game was a unexpected, I think, better game than many people. At least I don't want to group everybody in with me than I expected it to be. It was kind of, oh, this publisher hasn't had a string of hits recently. And this is a beloved franchise and they're going to update. It's probably going to be a first person shooter. Like when they announced it, there was a lot of eye roll. And I think it was better than it had any right to be. And also updated the franchise in a a smart way that a lot of franchises struggle with, you know, to come back after years of dormancy and and to come back. I think I I mean, this trailer, obviously, yeah, I think its biggest problem is that it's too long. Um, Showing action makes sense to me because that's a trailer. Like I enjoyed stealth and upgrades and decision trees and this, that and the other. But I I don't know what the trailer is where it's like dun, 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 dun. And it shows you in a menu deciding like strength. Or dexterity. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think it could show him using his brain to get out of things. You know, that's part of the strength of Deus Ex is, you know, the original Deus Ex, you could go through the whole game without killing anybody. And I think, you know, I think Sharif makes a good point that this guy is like not just killing people. He's slaughtering fools in in the trailer. And, you know, the idea that you could have a trailer that had some action, but also showed that he can use his brain to get out of situations well maybe that will be the e3 trailer like that'd be kind of sweet right this is the first public like this is rocking metal dun 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 and then at e3 they do the quiet reserve trailer that is more (laughs) geared towards hardcore fans because you could technically have i don't know if they will but you could have three trailers showing the same things done different ways i mean i think that's how they did but didn't they do that with the human revolution? Like they had the same sequence, the first sequence that they showed at that E3, whatever year that was, 2010 well, they demoed or 11 it that or way. Yeah. Yeah. They showed they the same. It. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, maybe they're taking something out of that playbook, but it's easy to be excited for this game, except for, um, Eidos, you know, kind of there. I, I think there may be a 60, 40, uh, developer in my book right now with, Hey, this is great. Or what are you doing? But that's not, that's not too bad of odds. No. And, and I think this certainly shows that we are in the early stages of uh, the E3 hype train uh, happening because, you know, we're this is this is we're two months out right now, almost exactly two months out. Oh my These God. games that are going to be, I think, a big presence at E3 are getting announced now. This is when, you know, we want to carve out a little bit of excitement before the uh, tumult of E3 happens. And we, you know, the, there will be games announced there, but there will be games that want to announce now so that they can be shown there uh, and have some kind of, you know, momentum going into the show. And I think this is this is one of those. So that's exciting. Yeah. I mean, it's oh, I can't. You're right. We're two months. Holy moly. And there's a lot of, uh, I wonder if there are going to be any surprises or maybe this is the, it's dumb to say, but the new E3 where 
yeah, there aren't going to be surprises per se because everything gets leaked anyway. So we're going to announce our thing, carve out our thing, <clears throat> Fallout 4 is coming, and then we're just going to have <laughs> games happen. <laughs> Surprising no one. Yes. Right, exactly. <laughs> All right, Christian, what is your uh, what is your story of the week? Oh, man. Lego Dimensions. I'm, I'm not sighing about Lego Dimensions. I, I'm excited about Lego Dimensions. I'm sighing because I'm not sure which one you're going to pick. I, I think I know what you're going to pick out of stories that are possible. But I won't I won't double dip. I'll let Kanata do his usual run the table of 10 stories. <laughs> Warner Brothers is getting into the um, living action figure series. The Skylander slash, I mean, Amiibo is not really it's quite a- that. This is the first time I've heard this term. This uh, it's a genre now. Oh, it's, it's been a uh, genre. You weren't paying attention when when Disney Infinity was first launched, then Jeff, because it has I know been I a, was. Were you? Two games does not a genre make, but now we've got. I guess we've got three games. We've got potentially four games. It's it's that what they're calling it. Um, what, what was the term that you just used? It's like living action figure or something like that. It's something like that. That's not exactly it, but it's something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, Toys it's to a life. genre in the same way. Toys yeah, it's, to it, life. Yeah, it's a genre in the same way how like there weren't that many Guitar Hero slash Rock Band games, but you know that was still a genre yeah. with all the the uh, store space that those instruments took up. It's the same thing with these uh, Skylander and Disney Infinities. They have entire sections of stores dedicated to these figures, and they're yeah. making hand over fist. I guess Amiibo would be the other. Entry into this into this genre, but toys to life, which is I think a ridiculous so, term for it, but whatever. Briefly, what this game kind of looks like, right? The starter pack is a hundred dollars. You get a portal, Batman, um, and two other figures who I don't remember. I think the girl from the Lego Movie, and uh, uh, I don't know. Oh, Wild Wild Style and Lego Gandalf is your right. uh, in the bundle along with a, a, a minifigure Batmobile. And um, that's a hundred bucks in the game and those things. And then the the premise of the game, it seems like from the trailer is kind of, uh, uh Oh, dimensions are crossed. Everybody's in everything. And now go through and do this. And if this game is done right, and there are still a, a tons of unlockable characters within the game, but then you get these, you know, these kits that are actual kits that you put together. And they said they're what, like 15 bucks or something like that. Like that's not, bad considering it's usually 10 to 12 bucks to get the mini you know the mini vehicle figure batmobile anyway so if you're getting that same thing that you get to assemble it's like 100 150 lego pieces and you're adding i would hope let's say you buy the back to the future kit that you also then get uh random um terrorist unlockable characters or random uh, enchantment and the sea dance people you know like the characters that you unlock in the lego games that no one cares about it's like thug one thug two thug three <laughs> or maybe you get <laughs> back to the future three doc brown also but you only own the physical doc marty and um delorean but you still have unlocks other unlockables i mean for me personally if this game is as fun as the existing lego games not lego the movie and not some of the stinkers in there or lego adventure or lego city lego undercover whatever it's called but like you know batman lord of the rings those games and i get an awesome little minifigure delorean i'm on board like this is to me and I, yeah ooh, yeah you're a lego like, guy I, jeff like does this I'm, are you are you clearing off shelf space I mean, this looks extraordinarily cool. I'm waiting to see what the actual game here is because I suspect it won't be like the Lego video game games. I could be wrong on that, but I How suspect it'll have its. How could they mess that part up, though? <laughs> I hope what they do don't mess the that part up. Be? 
in your well, those right. games are so based on like a, a set world and a set storyline. And I think if if it's build your own, it's if it's what you bring into the world. I mean, maybe it can still work that way. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but it seems to me that they will they will differentiate the dimensions as its own type of gameplay. And I'm curious to see what that is. Uh, maybe it's just hey, bring your minifigs into this static world. I don't know. Yeah, but- that's that's actually what I'm thinking is. I'm thinking it might be closer to a Minecraft style of gameplay than the original kind of Lego games. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they go in that direction. Sort of so like they're going to bankrupt everyone? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I mean, like, you yeah. can blend all the universes. So, like, uh, you, you know, if, like, you have, you know, a different sort of, you know, like a Lord of the Rings character and a DC Comics character, you can, like, you know, load up, you know, different instances from the uh, different worlds and sort of mash them together and build your little forts. And, yeah, I mean, I could, I could definitely see um, that kind of thing happening. Well, yeah, sorry, I mean, Estelle, you're be... not going to college. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be very much along the Disney Infinity template of, you know, you buy this this playset and you're in the Lord of the Rings playset or you, you know, buy this playset and you're in the Batman playset um, and, you know, they can go back and forth between them. So you can have Gandalf running around the Batcave or you can have, you know, Batman running around in Middle Earth. Uh, and that's the fun of it. For me, the, the the differentiator here is all of these toys to life games up to this point have been these static figurines that look nice on your shelf and are fun to collect, but they aren't a toy in and of themselves. They're they're static figurines. And here we have an actual toy that's already fun that works with all, toys that you already have and is interchangeable. If they can figure out a way to make that world that that creativity of lego translate into the digital space i mean i'm my fantasy for this and i don't think there's a way to make it happen but my fantasy for this is whatever i build i put on the stand and that gets into the game like any lego thing that i build i know we're not there yet but make that happen make give me that game yeah (laughs) that's yeah we're definitely not there yet um but what is exciting about that piggybacking off of your excitement and then grounding it in reality is I, I believe the price point of these things is right where you know i have the mini tie fighter and a lot of the, the mini fig vehicles and stuff like that and they're you know eight to twelve dollars and i think they said these are about 15 bucks and yeah i will pay four extra dollars to get the one that also works with the game when i can then bring in the batmobile and drive around dimension city in it um that's yeah i am uh i am very excited for this game and and truth be told even the bad like Lego City Undercover, while not a, in, in my opinion, as great of a game as Marvel or what I'm hoping Jurassic Park will be, it was still a pretty competent game. So this this is yeah. from developers that have made only competent games, some far better than others, but there are no real stinkers. This isn't, what game are they going to put this in? What, what are you doing? It's like, oh, great. They're taking all of my money. <laughs> I'm going like to build a train. That- I'd like to point out that piggybacking on my excitement and grounding it in reality is the description of, of your entire role on the show. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's why we work yeah, well I, together, I, Christian. I, I, yeah, I definitely hope that there's some integration and like probably not initially, but with the, um, the Lego Mindstorm series where you can program, um, Legos, like they kind of have like a really simple kind of like programming language. If they could integrate yeah. that somehow into this. And that you can actually, you know, sort of like program something, have a physical thing and then have it actually represented 
in a game world, I think that would be incredible. Not only just like from a, that's cool aspect, but like from a, you know, teaching basics of programming to people at a young age, um, that would be so awesome. Dude, I completely agree with you, Sharif. I, that is, I mean, anybody that watched the Lego movie, that's kind of the thesis of the Lego movie is, is it was a very subversive movie in a lot of ways because it was taking this brand and it was basically saying what has become of this brand isn't good. This brand used to be about creating things and using your imagination and taking a bunch of components and making what you imagine. And it has become create the set that you bought that's tied into the intellectual property that was licensed to be that set. And that's my fear with this entire project. Like dimensions is a really cool thing in theory, but if it only encourages kids to take Batman and put him in Middle Earth and make the playset that is this one IP and put this other playset that this other IP and take a minifig that's the third IP. And it's all these static IPs that are that are already pre-made and pre pre-conceptualized for kids and just, you know, is a it's an advertising mechanism for IP which is fun and we all love back to the future and I love Batman and I'm excited about that, but it's not Lego. What's what, what makes Lego Lego, what makes Lego my favorite toy of all time when I was a kid and today is that I can make a spaceship that doesn't, that wasn't licensed from Lucasfilm. I can make a spaceship that isn't a pre-existing thing that somebody made. It It's its own universe. And I want to figure out a way like you're talking about Sharif to, engender that kind of creativity, that kind of learning and imagination and get kids engaged that way. And adults and me, I want to do that. That's just Minecraft though. That game's been out and it's very popular and kids love it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. (laughs) I mean, they did it already. And Lego, yeah, the Lego movie was great and it definitely had like a subtle jab at its master parent. But at the same time, the Lego corporation Danish, my mom's Danish, shout out. Um, at some point, we were like, yeah, go ahead and, and make this little jab at us because we still sell the the big random kit. But guess what else we're going to do? We're going to make the Spaceman spaceship kit that you can go buy and build following the directions. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, they made this weird creative uh, construction monster uh, with no following no rules. They just built it to build something awesome. Here's a kit where you can build it too, kids. I mean, this game yeah. isn't going to be that. That game is Minecraft. Yeah, everybody would love to see Minecraft colon Lego. Um, quit trying to quit trying to pull a me on you regarding VR with this. This is going to be very <laughs> predictable. We know what it's going to be, but I'm going to get to double dip on some minifig kits and I'm going to put them in my game and I'm going to drive the Batmeal, bat, Batmeal, Batmobile around <laughs> Middle Earth and I'm going to drive the Batmobile over into um, wherever I want and it's going to be awesome and I'm going to have fun doing it and my daughter's going to watch me play because it's going to be family friendly and then when she goes to bed, then I'm going to play more Bloodborne. It's going to be great. <laughs> bat meal is what Batman has for breakfast. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> bat meal in the shop. Um, <laughs> all right. So I think my game, or game of the week, my story of the week has to be just because I'm so intrigued by this idea. It, I has to be the announcement of the first exclusive game for the Apple watch. Uh, and this is a game called Rune Blade. It's from a new company called Everywhere, but W E A R. Everybody, is that what it's called? You think? <laughs> yeah. Come on. This is uh this is made from a bunch of uh, actual game developers from you know that have a good pedigree, and 
they have announced uh, Rune Blade, which is a, a, a role-playing game for the Apple Watch, exclusive to the Apple Watch. It's designed to be played in 5 to 15 second sessions. So, that's good. <laughs> and uh, they they have some uh, screenshots that they've released. There was a trailer that basically just showed static screenshots. This game is going to be available in April. Uh, I did not pre-order an Apple Watch. I resisted my techno lust this time and I'm waiting to, I'm doing a, I'm pulling a Christian Spicer and waiting for revision two, uh, or later. Um, but I am curious Just about how sure a game. Just wait for revision three. I never, I, I did that a long time. So. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, Sharif, what is your take? Are you ready to game on your watch? Are you excited about the idea of video games designed specifically for wearables i think that they are doing it the right way in terms of these five to 15 second sessions what i was fearing was that they were going to try to squeeze you know not full games but like a but like a game like you know like like a like a longer game onto a watch um so i think grand theft auto watch (laughs) right 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 it's Exactly. I mean, I don't want to be playing like Bloodborne, the Apple Watch version, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm glad that they are, you know, they're thinking about like the audience and they're thinking about, you, you know, s- sort of like the time that like you want to spend with your arm out in front of you while you're poking at it. Um, because like that's definitely, you know, going to be a, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a short time. Um, I just, I just worry c- kind of like, you know, I don't know if this is going to be like a really big thing. Like, it's going to be something that if you already have a watch, it'll be cool to like mess around with. I don't think, you know, any of these games that they develop for the watch over previous lifespan will be something that will make you get, you know, make you get an Apple watch because there's this huge game library or like app library in the same way that, you know, that there were some people that bought, you know, like, uh, iPod touches and uh, those kind of things for uh, some of the um, app ecosystem and the game ecosystem on them. Can I tell you something super embarrassing, guys? This is uh, this kind of made me want to get an Apple Watch. <laughs> I looked, I looked at this at this <laughs> okay. announcement, and I was like, I kind of want to get a watch just to play this game, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm super embarrassed that tapping on a watch to play a role playing game. It sounds stupid. It sounds like a dumb experience, but for some reason. I was compelled by it. Uh, I think the, the, some of the fun things about the Apple Watch, i.e. the like, you know, heartbeat, you know, send your heartbeat to a friend, that kind of stuff. If you make a social experience with a role playing game where I can hear the, you know, the heartbeat of the enemy uh, or I can feel it on my wrist. I don't know, there's something kind of cool about that. Am I crazy? Christian, you're going to tell me I'm crazy. Uh, no, people in the chat were saying, don't buy one, Jeff, don't buy one. And I just typed, do it, Jeff, burn your money. Um, I don't think it's crazy at all. If honestly, I really don't, if you have the disposable, this is a universal you, if you have the disposable income and you think it is worth your money to get this thing to tinker with, that's fine. I think it's just knowing that it's a dumb purchase, right? I mean, it's just like, I have money to burn and this is not like no one, you don't need it for that. This game isn't going to be great. It's not going to be compelling. Um, we won't be talking about it next year. The games, if any, that survive on this thing will be games like um, maybe a Cards Against Humanities type thing where, you know, but you have to have four people with Apple Watches. What was that game? Space Station was really fun with, you know, a group of people with iPhones. But even Space that, Team. Yeah, Space that team, would yeah. be super fun on, on watches. 
But I mean, it's just like another hurdle into doing this thing where let's just play it on our phone because we already have it on our phone. Like, why isn't this RPG game on, available on my phone? Why does it need to be on my watch? Oh, because they wanted to have a marketing headline so that we would talk about it on this show and they get a press release out as the only game available exclusively on the watch. Great. So you're making a game that's on a worse, smaller screen that I need to have my phone with me anyway to use the watch. So why isn't it just on my phone? Um, this isn't going to be anything. It's not going to be great. Gaming on the Apple Watch is never going to take off and be as nearly as successful as it is on the phones. And uh, don't buy one, Jeff. Or do. To, which, buy I re- one. to which I reply, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shut up, Christian. Gladly. <laughs> um, uh, Space add- Bob called it Watch Your Battery Drain, the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of like some of the enemy types that they have in the picture gallery on the article, like the unholy deer, which apparently yeah. is uh, shooting lightning from its antlers and the bewitched rat. That's <laughs> cool. It's kind of these hilarious uh, enemy types. But as I mean, a shareholder, I, I should say everyone should buy an Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's not going to be enough to get me to buy an Apple watch. I, I just, I think that, I don't know. I'm worried about people like driving and playing game on watch. Uh, I'm worried about, you know, I'm worried about the fact that now, anytime I have five seconds to spare that five seconds to spare, isn't enough for me to pull my phone out of my pocket and turn it on and type in the code to turn it on or, you know, have my fingerprint read to turn it on. But five seconds is enough for me to casually glance at my watch and tap on my role-playing game that I'm, it only takes five seconds to kill a monster. Oh, God, what, are we, what have I become? It's also it's not- long enough for you to look around at your surroundings and realize that you're happy doing the thing that you're doing and take that moment to achieve zen within your own self. Or I could kill a lightning deer. <laughs> good point, good point. Hold on, I'm going to go get an Apple Watch. Be right back. Type, 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 ordered. Great. Be here in right. four months. What did you do with your five seconds? Feel at peace or slaughter some <laughs> lightning deer? I think, uh, I think I rest my case. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I do want to take a second and thank our sponsor, Linda. Linda, boy, if you have five seconds or a little more, you can do something actually productive, uh, with Linda. And that is learn something. Linda is an online learning platform with over 3000 on demand video courses that help you strengthen your business or technology or your creative skills. And we'll give you a free 10 day trial by going to lynda.com slash DLC. That's L Y N D a.com slash DLC. Completely your run of the site for 10 days. All you got to do is go to lynda.com slash DLC, and you can learn some really, really cool things. Lynda.com is for problem solvers. It's for the curious. It's for people who want to make things happen. Maybe you want to get good at Excel so you can be better in your business or learn negotiation tactics. Maybe you want to learn how to build a website easily or boost your Photoshop. I can't say Photoshop. Boost your Photoshop skills. Lynda.com has what it takes to feed your curious mind. They have lessons in game development. If you're curious about getting started with Unity or 3D Studio Max or Maya, all kinds of stuff done with by professionals, done in a really in- interesting, easily digestible way. These are experts. These are people who are passionate about teaching. These are uh, courses where you can search through them and find only the thing you need. They're courses that are always up to date. You make sure you're talking about the latest version. I was just browsing lynda.com and I found a really cool stuff. They had really great stuff about photography, 
But you know what nobody else, nobody talks about with photography these days is after you're done with a digital image and you want to print it out and show it to somebody or display it in your home in some way, uh, how do you print it? We all know tons of courses and there are tons of courses on lynda.com about how to take great photos. But what about how to print great photos? There's this really cool course on Lynda called From Screen to Paper, Improving Your Inkjet Printing. And it's an in-depth multi-course class about how to make their images look the best when you print them out, which is so overlooked by people. You spend all this time making a great photo and then it looks like garbage when you print it out and try to, you know, frame it in your house. Really, really cool stuff. And there's so many different things. Like I said, tons of stuff for people who are interested in, uh, game design and learning about getting into gaming. It's, it's really cool. And we're going to give you a complete 10 day free trial. All you got to do is go to lynda.com slash DLC. It lets them know that you heard about it from our show and it gives you complete free reign over the site. You can browse, find the courses that are so interesting to you and make good use of your time. Unlike killing lightning deer. This is, uh, this is actually worthwhile. It's a great way to expand your horizons and get skills that are actually going to be useful for you. Lynda.com L Y N D A.com slash DLC. Okay, uh, a couple of other stories I want to talk about here. Um, we gave mad props to The Witcher 3 uh, a few months ago, I guess it was now, because the developers at CD Projekt Red came out and said, hey, we are not these crappy companies that are going to milk you for every dollar. All of our DLC is going to be free. We've got 16 pieces of free downloadable content, including cosmetic stuff, playable contracts, extra junk to stick in the game. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be free. Dude, we're awesome. And we all went high five CD Projekt Red. DLC the way it's meant to be completely free. And then they went, yeah. Cut to two months later and they went, we got two expansions coming out. One's going to be $19.99 and the other's going to be $9.99. Buy them uh, with the expansion pass for 25 bucks. Save five bucks by paying now. And we went, well, the truth is uh, they said at the time, if we're going to charge for content, we're going to make it worthwhile. It seems like these two expansions are pretty beefy in terms of hours of game time and uh, amount of content. These are two huge new areas with huge narrative, uh, narrative elements and, and lots of story content. What do you guys think about this? They milked the PR bump uh, pretty heavily from the idea of not charging for DLC and being the good guys. And then they come out and say, hey, we're doing a season pass, essentially, and uh, we're going to charge you for it. Now, they also said, hey, if you don't want to uh, if you don't if you're worried about whether this is going to be worth your dollar or not, wait and see. Don't buy it. We encourage you not to buy it until you've seen what it is because we're confident that there's enough content here that it's going to justify us charging for it. Sharif, are you, um, how do you feel about this? I mean, I feel that, um, you know, their early statements about sort of, you know, attacking sort of like the predator, like the predatory use of like DLC in terms of like charging for cosmetic stuff. Um, I think this still falls into that. Um, not, not in terms of this, like DLC being predatory, but in terms of that, like, they're still giving you that stuff free. And I think that that's really what their initial PR 
was about like don't charge for things that are small and like cosmetic. So I do think that they haven't deviated too much from their initial stance. Now I do think that like some people took that and applied that to even sort of, you know, ex- expansions that require obviously like development time and you got to pay all those people and that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that it really depends on how meaty these downloadable a- add-ons are and they're saying 30 hours i mean Mm -hmm. that is substantial um i don't have a problem with them selling these uh for a 25 dollar season pass um i just think that this is where we are in gaming i mean we are going to be paying for additional content and as long as it is is like meaty enough um i don't have a problem with it and i do like the fact that they're saying like you know if you have any questions, don't, don't buy it. You know, I, I think that, you know, more companies need to need to say that. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with this at all. Um, especially with like a series like the Witcher, which has proven to, you know, if you're into that, that genre has like proven to be a quality series. Yeah, it looks like uh, there's a lot of discussion here in the chat room. Uh, Buttered Ham in the chat says that CD Projekt Red is one of his favorite developers, but F them for straight up lying to gain goodwill. Um, I don't think that there was an actual lie here, but they certainly made it seem like they were not going to charge at all for anything, uh, even though they did say, hey, if we are going to charge for something, it will be big. And it certainly looks to be big. So there wasn't really a lie there, but it, I think it was misleading. Uh, Christian, what's your take on this? I think what they did, like the guru in the chat and some other people were saying, uh, you know, an expansion is not DLC. I mean, we're getting into a, be getting into a semantic argument where I don't think the industry agrees as to what quote unquote DLC is and what an expansion is. I mean, an expansion is something that you download that adds additional content to your game. I would say it's downloadable content then, um, and obviously in the PC space, what an expansion was meant something different than, you know, just horse armor, the most notorious item of DLC, uh, DLC ever created, probably. Uh, I mean, I think the the biggest annoyance in this is the kind of tooting their own horn that they did about DLC um, being free and then what is going to be worth your money and then announcing this before the game came out, um, which is also kind of like, oh, obviously they're working on it. It's probably a different team. You can't have this big of an expansion come out at a time frame when people are still interested in the game. Most likely if you didn't start working on it before the game came out, but it does feel like a, but it's, that's not what it is. I, uh-uh. I mean, kudos to them. They should run for president or uh, prime minister of their country because it is, it's just, um, it's a misdirect and that's fine. And it might be great content, but I think the lesson that we all learn as consumers is, a game doesn't exist until it comes out. So The Witcher 3 still is not a real game because it's not on shelves and we can't buy it. And two, anything a developer says, there's a good chance that it's untrue. It's not an intentional lie, but stuff changes. <laughs> and just take everything that you hear everywhere with a huge grain of salt and get on the hype train, but get on on the caboose so you can jump off later. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, is, is that really is that really the takeaway here? Is that it's yes. timing? I mean, if this game had... What? Did you think I was lying to you? Yes, that's the real takeaway. Let's move on. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> is it that if they had, if the game had come out and then a month later they'd been like, hey, we're making expansions, people wouldn't be so upset, but because it was announced before the game has re- has released and they're saying, hey, buy the season pass. Is that really what we're 
what you know irks is irksome to people is that it's before it's come out it is a planned rollout it is way to monetize the game and we're going to pre-sell it before the game even comes out i mean one of the big <clears throat> my favorite line we, we talked about deus ex mankind divided at the beginning of the show and i forgot to mention my favorite line from the announcement which is no official release date has been announced but mankind divided is available for pre-order <laughs> we'll take your money now. We don't know when it's going to come out or what it really is, but we'll take your money. Um, I think is that what is rubbing people the wrong way is, you know, and they, and they can come out and say, Hey, don't buy it yet, which is a good thing to say. And I think, uh, I give them credit for that, but they'll take your money. I don't know. Sharif, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely see your point there. Um, you know, I, I still don't see it as that problematic, I guess, though. I, I, I mean, I I think that, you know, any company is going to take your money for a pre-order. <laughs> um, and there are people that will pre-order without a release date, without anything, you know, if they're really into that, like, franchise. Um, I don't think that there were people that, set, that saw, like, wow, they're not going to charge for any DLC. I'm going to pre-order that wouldn't have pre-ordered anyway. I mean, it's really something that the super fan does. Anyway, you know, um, unless you get caught in a GameStop and like, you know, kind of corralled into a pre-order. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, 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 I just don't see the issues with this um, as much. Some interesting comments in the chat room. Uh, Panda David says, I'm all for uh, a game paying twenty five dollars for uh, two huge expansions and still receiving free DLC. Uh, whereas Game Breaker says after Destiny, I'm done with season passes or getting DLC or expansions without knowing what is actually in the content. Um, so there's, you know, there's a lot, people are unsettled about this issue, I think. And I think that's the, the real case. And I think that CD Projekt Red has made it clear that, hey, we have a standard for what we're going to charge for as opposed to what we're going to offer for free. And a lot of people don't. And I think that's true, but it still doesn't make, everybody comfortable uh because where is that standard you say you have one and it seems to be the case but we don't know for sure until it actually hits um i think you know as usual our stance here on dlc is don't pre-order anything buy stuff when it comes out if you like it if it seems like you're going to like it and uh you know there's no reason to pre-order anything at any point ever yep right Anything else you want to put a button on that, Christian? Oh, no, no, not on that. Oh, well, I, I, the only thing I can say is people are in the, the chat and other people, you'll hear this online, whatever, like, I'm so sick of gamer outrage and gamer entitlement. Speaking only for myself, I am not outraged over this. This is not an outrage issue. I think it's an interesting issue that we can have an interesting discussion about as to what is DLC and what's an expansion and what's the nature of what should be what and what should be another. But for a fan of the Witcher series to be like swearing off the game, the Witcher forever because of this. Yeah. I mean, that seems silly to me, <laughs> you know, just wait for a price right. drop and buy the game when it sounds right to you. Um, this isn't the end of the world. I mean, that's coming next year when the lizard people take over and we'll just work towards right. that. So <laughs> when we all run out of water and then we start eating each other for sport. Yep. Why do you think I'm having another kid and more food, you know, <laughs> <laughs> smart. Uh, all right, guys, uh, let's move on. Uh, we got some fun stuff to talk about in the playlist, so let's get to that now. Ooh, 
playlist is the part of the show where we talk about what we've been playing, what's on our personal playlist. Sharif, what's on your playlist? So on my playlist, um, I have been uh, playing through the last two episodes of uh, Game of Thrones, the uh, Telltale, Telltale Point and Click uh, adventure. Obviously, the TV show season five has just premiered, so there's a lot of Game of Thrones stuff going on in the media. Um, and I was a little worried about um, this game when they initially announced it because, you know, the book and the TV shows are so good in my opinion, at least that I was like, there's no way a game can really, can really kind of live up to it. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that they've made some pretty smart decisions and it's kind of worked in their favor. Um, I do think that in terms of like sort of using new characters in this game, which they do like they basically create like an entire new family um, in the North, um, but they kind of interweave it with, with the um, Finkelsteins. Yeah, exactly. The Jacksons. <laughs> yeah. Um and 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 they interweave that with events that like go on in the show. And like I won't spoil what those events are, but they do bring in events that like people familiar with the source material will be familiar with. Um so so like so, so like some familiar characters do make appearances, but it's really about like the journey of this new kind of family and i think it works pretty well um i think that it keeps the uh similar tone um of the uh show um it definitely um you know is less of sort of the uh sexual content that the show has but i kind of expected that from like a telltale game mm-hmm. um um you know i will say that w- one thing that did bother me is that you know the uh you know while the game does do a good job with the with the women characters which i do think that um the shows do as well you know in in terms of the um you know like the uh, diversity in different cultures and like that kind of thing which i'm always looking for in the games um by basically creating an entirely new family they really had a chance to you know to um interject some Mm -hmm. of that and they really fail to do so even when you're in areas of this world um specifically east of the uh of the narrow sea for those that are familiar with the uh, world um where like you do find sort of different cultures like this game doesn't really get into that as much um so obviously it's a episodic series so they still have like some more chances to improve on that um, mm-hmm. but, but I, I do like, um, sort of like the choices that they have you make, um, and things feel sort of ap- appropriately intense. Um, and yeah, I would, I would definitely recommend it if you're a fan of, uh, of a point and clicks and the, uh, telltale style of storytelling. So are you getting, you know, mainline characters from the series popping into your new, new family? I mean, is Tyrion and. Cersei and Jon Snow and stuff popping into the, to that world or is yep. it sort of, yeah. Okay. Yep. And, and, uh, they, they, they actually look pretty good from a, uh, graphical standpoint, I think. Um, there's like definitely like the voices are, are good too. I mean, like you're not kind of getting sort of a, uh, a, uh, mailed in, uh, destiny Peter Dinklage. <laughs> like he's definitely, uh, 
back on his uh you know on on his high horse in terms of the acting mm-hmm. that he does some of the um you know the uh, actual animations in terms of matching the lips with the voice aren't always as good um but i do think that you know that they did a good job of of bringing a world to life that like you already have a great representation of on hbo so it's too bad about the diversity thing because I, I would I would guess that you would give um, Telltale fairly high marks in the past for for that no oh I absolutely would um you know I definitely think that you know obviously with a Walking Dead and uh, even even like Wolf Among Us you know like I definitely mm-hmm. think were great um but uh, yeah yeah I mean it's it's like something that unfortunately is like something with a lot of fantasy. Um, in general, there was a great article on uh, Off World that um, talked about that by uh, Tanya DePass that like t- talked about that in terms of of uh, Dragon Age um, mm-hmm. and, like, and like how it's something that affects kind of fantasy stuff as well. And 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 and, and you know I could kind of understand it if they were keeping exactly with the source material, but because mm-hmm. they're like s- sort of have the freedom to like create, um, it just things a bit more. Yeah. Even so, yeah. though, it's, man, and shows my own ignorance for having, and I'm probably not true, but the comical slash sad slash satiric way of looking at this is all fantasy really is, is white people writing about worlds that don't exist where only white people live, and that's their fantasy. Yes. I want to live yeah. in a world where it's only white people and dragons. <laughs> what will I call this genre? Fantasy slash how I wish the world really was. Um, have you played, uh, I, what extent is your other, t- you mentioned Wolf Among Us and The Walking Dead. My question with this, and I've, I've avoided these games mostly because um, Walking Dead Season 2 kind of bummed me out on Telltale. Is it still, can you see the telltaleness of this? Does that make sense? Where it's like, here's a new character that's not Dinklage, that's not in the show. They're going to save you. Guess what's going to happen? They're going to die. Next, next person. You know, is it? that predictable tell tale pattern or are they kind of doing something new with their gameplay of moral ambiguity? I think that there's definitely an aspect of that telltaleness, as you say, um, you know, it, I think that they do a better job just because the nature of game of Thrones, like you kind of, um, you know, I think that they do a better job of keeping that like feeling of, you don't really know who's going to, you know, like betray who or like who's going to, you know, get like killed or like that kind of stuff. But I do think that, you know, there is a a certain aspect of that. And I do think that there's like also that um, I know that like a uh, common complaint of the Telltale games is that, you know, it sort of has this DNA structure where, you know, everything comes back to the same point, like regardless of of the uh, decision that uh, you make, even even if, if the decision appears to be a, a critical one. Um, because I don't replay Telltale games, I don't really get that. I mean, I kind of have my experience and that's it, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's the same thing with Game of Thrones that like, if you played it through multiple times, it sort of made different decisions. I'm pretty sure that it probably does end up fairly similar. Sure. I mean, to me, that critique never really hit home for me because I feel like while the end of The Walking Dead is the same for everyone that plays it, what's different is your experience in getting there and the emotional decisions that you wrestled with about whether, um, you know, Lee did this or Lee did that. And to me, that still made a unique story for you. That's like saying, 
you know, like the gumball race or some of these cross country races, automobile races. It's like, oh, well, it's, they're all the same because you start in New York and end in L.A. Well, yeah, true. But how many times do you get pulled over by a cop or what shortcuts you find or what diners you go to? It's all very different. And you still have that unique story to you. And I feel like that's what the telltale games do is that when you personally choose who lives or die, that still impacts you emotionally and you have your own story. So that I understand that people's problem with that. But to me personally, that's never been a, a knock for telltale. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you too, Christian. I, I'm of that mind as well, where it's the details that are important. It's the journey, not the destination. But I can also understand people saying, well, if I can't change my ultimate fate, then how much agency do I really have? And I think that's the, that's Welcome the gripe. Life, is, Jeff. <laughs> no doubt. Um, Sharif, you have another episodic game on your playlist. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've also been playing through Resident Evil Revelations 2. Um, and I'm a little behind on this one. I just, I, I, I've been playing through the first episode because to be honest, I wasn't really sold on if I would, you know, buy this game or not. So I just bought the first episode just to kind of test it out. Um, because I'm kind of resident evil out <laughs> a bit. Um, especially after kind of having a mediocre time with five and really not liking six. Um, but really enjoying the original. 3ds version of uh of revelations um and the thing with two is that it's so different from what i was expecting i think it's very different from the first revelations in terms of the pacing it's much faster um it's much like it like I feel kind of like I'm sprinting through some of the parts at times, which I never mm-hmm. felt in uh, Revelations 1. It was like more of a slow, methodical, creaky ship, and you're kind of like really being careful. I don't feel like I'm being that careful in this game. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I'm like definitely careful when like I come across a like really tough enemy. Um, but this game seems to be much more focused about um, coming coming across very tough enemies really early um i was kind of surprised at like how many kind of hits some of the uh early guys take um and like i'm only playing on the normal difficulty level i'm not playing on sort of the extreme thing um Mm -hmm. but you know so like you really have to use um the sort of like like uh the 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 abilities of the two characters that you start with um and it's really really challenging um and it's also really, really, um, um, I was a little lost, um, when I was trying to find out which keys open, which doors, which I didn't feel a lot in, uh, in, 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 uh, revelations one. So it's definitely different from what I was expecting, but I do think that, you know, it's a solid game. If you keep those things in mind, um, it like a uh, runs well, it like looks great. The like sound design is really good. Um, definitely one of those games that like, you want to play with like headphones on at night, you know, like mm-hmm. it kind of has like, like the classic RE ex- experience there. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to like playing through the rest of these episodes. Um, because you know, I was, I was, I was a little turned off at first because it's different, but I'm kind of into it now. Well, I'm glad to hear that because it has really not been on my radar at all. I'm sad to say that as a former resident evil fan, I've hard. It's hard for me to muster up excitement for that series anymore. 
And uh, I'm glad to hear that this is this is worth playing because it certainly wasn't even wasn't even on my radar. It's just like ah, I, I didn't have the bandwidth to even you know muster up any excitement for it. But I'm glad to hear it's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, anything else you've been playing? Yeah, so the last game um, is a 3DS game um, called Box Boy, um, which wasn't on my radar at all. I saw it on the eShop as I was browsing stuff, and I saw a lot of great reviews of it. Um, it looked like sort of a typical indie game, black and white platformer, simple kind of design, but it's really, really well done. Um, basically, the concept of it is that you're a box, obviously. <laughs> um, and a boy. And- yeah, and and a boy, <laughs> and uh, you can duplicate like yourself. So like uh, you can create different boxes, and like you can kind of throw them and attach yourself kind of to them to like solve puzzles, basically. So like you're activating buttons, you're avoiding spikes, you're like climbing over like a chasms. But this game has a a lot of great kind of small details in terms of how this box, like the way that the legs move sort of the feeling of the jumping like it feels like a lot of care was like was like really taken in terms of like making it feel good like it feels like sort of a uh, a uh, Nintendo platformer in terms of like how great the uh, controls are um and also how they kind of really teach you how to play the game through the puzzles. Like there's no like big, like text, like, Hey, like, uh, you know, like, uh, do this to like activate this like power. It's like all Mm -hmm. shown to you by like images and by just like the way the puzzles are a design. So I think it's very smartly laid out. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get super, super challenging, but you do feel kind of rewarded on some of the, uh, later puzzles, um, and it's only like five bucks, you know, so I would definitely recommend it. Um, if you have a 3ds and like, you're looking for a good, um, new platformer to, um, uh, play, I wouldn't surprise, I wouldn't be surprised if it appears on uh, sort of mobile phones and that stuff as well, because it definitely seems like that kind of game. Hey, it might even appear on, on the, on the Apple watch, Jeff. I mean, you know I mean? <laughs> then, then I'll have a reason to play it. Um, the chat room is going nuts for box boy. Everybody is uh, screaming box boy in the chat room. So uh, a lot of support behind that game. I might have to dust off my three DS and, and uh, give it a, give it a download. If it's only five bucks, uh, it sounds like a lot of enthusiasm behind that one. Uh, Christian, what's on your playlist, buddy? Some, some pretty exciting. Well, some pretty Bloodborne. exciting. Bloodborne is on my playlist, and yeah, how you doing people, on that Bloodborne? So good, making progress. I am uh, still have not taken down the second the second boss, but you know I'm still having fun with the game. I am uh, starting to trying to twitch regularly on Thursdays around lunchtime Pacific. So I did that last Thursday, and it was fun, and it was a very supportive people that came in and 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 watched my twitch is just uh christian spicer it's a very basic bare bones channel but i think i enjoy that so i'm going to try to keep doing it this week it will be a little earlier i'll probably be at like 10 probably trying to take down the second boss again so if you want to watch and hang out i will be doing that um also um man so i you uh, helped me get a heroes of the storm beta key and i was like yeah okay. i did I'm going to play some Heroes of the Storm. I'm going to get in here so I can, you know, 
still sit silently while Jeff does his primer because you don't take a breath and let anyone else talk because your excitement takes over your need for breathing. Uh, Did you go back and listen to those so that you were uh, but, uh, ready to go? Of course I did. Of course. Yeah, I have them sit. Yep. Yeah, no, I did not. Um, man, I, I realized that this is like the third week in a row where it's like Christian has, is an idiot. Does anyone else ever have problems third logging week? into Battle.net? <laughs> I have what? sent support every time I do a new game. I have an authenticator on my phone and I know it's the right thing and it says it's synced and I know what my password is and I can't, I can't log in. I don't know what it is. So I've submitted a support ticket and uh, hey, Stella's yelling at me. You guys hear that? She's, she's saying how dumb you are for not being able to log into Blizz, Blizzard's website. Yeah, that, that's what she's saying. Hey, quit being an idiot. Um, <laughs> uh, but I don't. I can't log in. So, so you haven't played it? I haven't played it. I haven't downloaded it because oh, it, it's like oh three no. days until I get my email back saying why my authenticator isn't working anymore or whatever. Yeah. Come on. I actually had trouble with the authenticator with StarCraft um, uh, about a year ago and I ended up not stop using it because I couldn't get any help on it. Um, I kept getting things to try and it never worked. But I know Blizznet is definitely def- is definitely up because my best friend calls me to tell me his StarCraft 2 exploits every day. Can you, <laughs> so I know he's playing. <laughs> can, you, can you turn off the authenticator yourself? I, I was under the impression that I needed um, su- a support key to do that as well. That once you have it activated I need to go through them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe I had them turn it off for me. Yeah. So next week, so I, I don't think, yeah, it's not a battle net being down issue. I think it's for some reason, my authenticator become un, unlinked to my account, even though my phone hasn't changed, my computer hasn't changed and it says it's still all linked correctly. But next week I will have um, played at least the first two minutes of Heroes of the Storm and I will um, impart my wisdoms about um, people yelling at me for um, being horrible <laughs> at the game. Just don't, you know, just don't jump into quick match right away. All you have to do is, you know, do the tutorial play a couple of practice rounds and then maybe get jump into some co-op games. That's, that's how you ease into the game. It sounds like they're just throwing keys out at this point to, to anybody. There's a bunch of people that tweeted me with keys and I retweeted them. And there's a bunch of people that follow me on Twitter that got keys. So I think there's going to be a, a whole bunch of new players in the mix. Uh, I'm pretty much exclusively not exclusively. That's not true, uh, but I've put a lot of uh, emphasis on uh, ranked play at this point. Uh, which is really fun. And I just ranked up to 39 this week, which I'm pretty proud of uh, from starting at 50. And, uh, you know, I, I'm still loving the game. Uh, I know that uh, very few people want to hear me talk about it. There's a lot of people that have tweeted me and said, hey, you should be talking about it more on the show. But I, I am I am at about two to three hours of that game a day. Um, it has consumed me on a whole level that I can't even begin to express. Uh, and I'm really excited about Heroes of the Dorm, which is the big competition that's going on right now. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm become the thing that I didn't think I would ever be, which is that MOBA kid who loves MOBAs and only wants to talk about MOBAs and play MOBAs. So um, I'm excited. I'm, I'm fine. This is just personally, I'm fine with you talking about it on the show as much as you want. What I feel becomes redundant and much like I'm still playing Bloodborne and plan to play it for a long time and maybe even never beat it. I know. People in the chat have got their platinums and kudos to you. And wow, what are you doing? How did you do that? Why are you doing that? Um, <laughs> but like for me, what's not interesting is hearing what is largely, and this isn't just to you and heroes, but it's just in general and podcasts I listen to and things I like consuming. I don't want to hear the same stuff over and over again. Like if something new is happening or if you learned a new technique or you had your own personal story of, of glory or tale of fail, that's interesting. But just like 
me sitting here saying Bloodborne is so good. So anyway, I had this villager and I rolled on it. And it's like basically the same but thing. But I wasn't for doing that. Like, I was giving people like actual strategies and real concrete uh, you know, concrete ways to approach the game. I wasn't saying the same thing over again. It's no, no, now no, no. that like when I could only say one or two sentences about it is when I say the same thing over again. It's when I've been I've been attacked by my own listenership. Well, maybe That's if you had stayed in your lane of what DLC the podcast is about, you wouldn't have been attacked. <laughs> well, I have actually been playing uh, something this week that is new and interesting and uh, cause for discussion. Uh, and that is Path of Exile, The Awakening, which is the brand new expansion for Path of Exile that's coming out. Uh, we don't know exactly when it's coming out. It's going into open beta right now. And uh, it will be coming up probably in June at some point. But they're basically saying we're going to see how the beta goes. And if there's big stuff we need to fix, then it will come out a little later. But it's coming out soon. Uh, and uh, the guys from New Zealand, from uh, Grinding Gear Games, uh, swung through L.A. And I met up with them and got to uh, take a tour of, of the new stuff in this quite large expansion to a free-to-play game. So it's going to be a free-to-play expansion as well. And uh, just the discussion that we had about their monetization strategy and how they make money is fascinating. Just a, this is a company that really gets it. I'm so impressed by these guys. Uh, every time I've met them, I met them about three or four times now. Met them once when I went to Australia for PAX Australia. Uh, they, they are really the guys that get it. They're passionate about making this kind of game. They loved Diablo 2 and wanted to make sort of their version of what a successor to that game would be. And they have. Path of Exile is is awesome. It's excellent and it's going strong. Uh, and this new expansion has some really bizarre, innovative, cool ideas. I mean, if anybody has played Path of Exile before, which is a top-down Diablo-esque game, a loot-based game, uh, they know that one of the biggest strengths of the game is how crazy customizable it is. Uh, basically, there's no there's no money in the game at all. There's no currency. It's all a trade-based economy, and everything is itemized. So you can loot these gems that you slot in your weapons that give your weapons certain effects. And so there's crazy amounts of customizations on that level. But also, it's almost an overwhelming level of customization from your talent tree on your character. If you look at, if you just like, Google Path of Exile talent tree, you can see this legitimately insane flow chart of talent trees because any skill is accept is accessible to any character class all you have to do is put enough points in it to get across the crazy flow chart to get to the other area so basically the class that you pick determines where you start on the flow chart and start putting points in, but every arm of every skill tree intersects at some point with every other arm. So it's this massive constellation of flow chart and you can get, you know, you can be a warrior and put enough points that you get all the way to the other side of the skill tree to get some magic stuff as well. It's just easier to get magic stuff if you start as a mage type class. Anyway, that is a level of customization that's crazy, and the meta game for Path of Exile is pretty awesome. Like the the people in the community that figure out these wild builds of character classes are, it has has been really a fun thing about the game, and something that the uh, designers have really embraced. Well, this expansion, Awakening, in addition to being you know a huge new act story of of the area of the uh, game, and having new areas and having new enemies to kill is a revamp of that skill system. So everything has been redesigned and rebalanced, but they also added slottable gems 
into the talent tree. So you can actually put a gem into the talent tree that affects the talent tree and does some wild, crazy stuff. Like one of the things that it will do is change bonuses that you get in your talent tree to different bonuses. So if uh, a bunch of bonuses around your talent tree give you a bonus to strength, slot this gem in and all of a sudden they give a bonus to dexterity. So this mm-hmm. weapon that was completely useless to you before, if you get the right gem and put that in your talent tree, now becomes a super awesome weapon for you. So it it expands the level of what is possible, you know, tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold. It's insane the amount of customization. Another kind of gem will have an effect that has a radius. So anything that falls into that radius on that flow chart is affected by that gem. So it could give massive bonuses to something and you've got to figure out where, which slot on the talent tree would be best to put this gem in because it converts things into other things in a radius that surrounds it. It's craziness, but it's something that I don't see anybody else doing. And these guys are, have, have, tapped into a level of character creation that I think can be super off-putting to new players. I think it's overwhelming when you first look at that talent tree, but when you get into the game and play it, A, it's super accessible and fun because it's a Diablo-esque just point and click and kill stuff and be overpowered all the time. But B, when you get uh, indoctrinated enough into the systems, you kind of see the next level down of how crazy customized you can get and how specific you can get about these characters. There's all kinds of crazy stuff they were showing me. They were showing me archers that you have one weapon and you, you start killing zombies or bad guys or whatever. And you're doing awesome. You're point and clicking and you're killing. And then you slot this one thing into that, that bow that you've been using as an archer. And now it turns every death that you create, every monster you kill spawns, little creatures for you. So you become a completely different kind of character. You become this character. That's all about this wall of creatures that you create by just by killing stuff in front of you. So you can stand back and have the creatures multiply and multiply and multiply. And you have this army of creatures. Well, of course, if you do that, you want to slot a bunch of different skills into your tree to make the creatures you spawn much more powerful. So it's all of this give and take. And their philosophy is, it's opportunity cost. Everything is achievable. Everything is attainable. It's only about what you give up in order to get the other cool thing. You're giving up a cool thing to get another cool thing. Um, so I was really blown away by what I saw from Path of Exile, The Awakening. So do you think that this is kind of a mechanic that other games should, you know, steal or borrow? Like after the Arkham game games came out, it was like someone else uses combat, uses combat, and you see other games introduce new things. It's like, use this, use this, use this. Or is this just kind of cool and refreshing because it's a unique spin on Diablo 2? You know what I mean? Or is it, would you want Diablo 4 to almost steal this from them because it revolutionizes gameplay in a new way? Or is it just a, this is cool, but we don't need a hundred of these. It's just nice to have a a different take on this, you know, isometric uh, brawler. I think it's that last one. I, I mean, I'm just impressed that these guys have found a way to make their game stand out and be uh, be unique and be interesting and have a, a level of depth in the metagame that is is so interesting. And uh, it makes, you know, these games are all about feeling overpowered all of the time. And the thing that Diablo has done really well, even Diablo 3 is doing very, very well in its own way is to make you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm super overpowered, but if I do this other thing, I can be super overpowered in a completely different way, and all it takes is swapping out one or two things, and all of a sudden, 
the complete, the way I approach the game is completely different, but I still feel wildly overpowered and awesome. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can definitely say, um, from listening to that, it definitely sounds super overwhelming and intimidating to someone like me. (laughs) Um, but I do like the fact that it exists. Like I definitely like the fact that, um, developers are experimenting with these, with these like new systems that might not be, you know, super friendly up front, but do have that, like that, like depth in it. I was looking at a picture that represented the skill tree and it was like a huge spider web. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's it almost, it, it seems impossible. It's like, how does anybody make sense of this? But once you start playing the game, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah. And then the idea of, well, even the restrictions that, that, that system imposes at the outset. Now we have ways to break those restrictions and, you know, you get little gems that like that say, Hey, remember how you had to give up this and that and this to get to that skill. Well, now you don't have to because you just slot a gem here and it changes everything. It's, it's such a really interesting way to do it. And I specifically asked the developers if, you know, are you, are you concerned about breaking your game? And he, he was saying, basically, we don't want to get to a point where there's only one build that works but we love the fact that people can break the game. Like we want, we actively encourage, like make your character do something that we didn't even anticipate and we'll figure it out because they're so active in constantly up, updating the game and working on things. We'll, we'll figure out how to make that cool. And, and if it's, if it's instead of nerfing, we want to just sort of reinforce other areas. So it's not the one true build and that there are multiple builds that all seem viable. Super cool. Interesting. Awesome. Um, man, I really want to do this story of glory. I know it's long, uh, but it's so good, Christian. Don't you think it's good? I think it's so it, good. I mean, it's great. I think you could have, or I could have, one of us could have. I mean, I think everything can this be stronger is, when it's edited. This is but, edited. This is the edited version. I, it was oh. way longer than this. <laughs> okay. Well, it, it is good. So, listeners, this is an interesting story. It is. It's a long story. Jeff, do you want to break it up at all? Do we want to punch in, punch out? Do we want to create radio drama? I mean, um, throwing adventure hours ending after 10 years. Maybe this is our time to jump into that. <laughs> all right. Or, or do you want to just blast through it? You can do it. It's interesting. It, it is. It's a very good story. I think it's fun. I think I can get through it in a couple minutes, and I think people are going to enjoy it. I, I enjoyed it. So here we go. Uh, who is this? Who sent this in? I don't even have the guy's name listed who sent it in, uh, but I will find that. Uh, here it is. The, the year is 2005. I'm a senior in college. My roommate and I participate in our daily NFL contests in NFL 2K5. May it rest in peace. And we were in the middle of a hard fought battle between our two favorite teams. And by hard fought, I mean, he was trashing me up and down the field. It was the final three minutes of the game. And my beloved Dallas Cowboys were down by 21 points. All hope seemed lost. And I had enough of hearing Trey Wingo talk about, you can't coach that as my roommate blew through tackle after tackle with Kevin Barlow. Finally, I stopped him and forced him to punt on a fourth and long. Now it was my time to shine. I ran back the punt for a good 25 yards to give my team a better chance, but the clock was still ticking. I threw an out route to Keyshawn Johnson, and he gained an impressive chunk of yardage that set me up for a first and goal from the 10. I threw a 10-yard stop to get to the touchdown. 30 seconds had gone off the clock, and I was down by 14 after the extra point. Of course, my only course of action was an onside kick. Miraculously, the ball bounced off his hands team and right into the gut of my closest receiver. I got the ball. Time to go to work. This next drive wasn't as seamless or quick as the 30-second strike I just had, 
but I managed to get to the three-yard line with only mere seconds remaining. I spiked the ball with 15 seconds left and called a risky play. A draw to Eddie George. I finally caught my roommate off guard. I wailed on the Y button as Eddie George destroyed his linebacker to put up another six points. After an extra point, I was only down by seven. I looked at the clock. There were 10 seconds left. I had to go for another onside kick. I calmed myself. I said a prayer to Staubach, Aikman, and Smith, and I kicked the ball. My special teams got past the line and jumped into the air to snatch the ball out of the incoming grasp of Brandon Lloyd. With seven seconds remaining, I had received my second onside kick. I was down by seven. Could it be possible? Could I come back and win this game in the final three minutes? Yes, because you can't coach that, I mockingly said to my roommate. My players lined up in a five-wide shotgun formation. I tossed the ball out to a deep route to Quincy Morgan. He caught and slipped by the defender. I wailed on the A button, building as much turbo as I could. My roommate was in disbelief that my wide receiver was leaving a trail of dust as he streamed toward the end zone. My thumb was in pain for the amount of force I was wielding upon the controller. With a last-second drive, I crossed the goal line. The score was 35-34. No time was left on the clock, but I couldn't send the game to overtime. Momentum had swung to my favor, and I called my next play. I was going for two. Romo stepped back. I looked to the left. Johnson was covered. Morgan was falling into a zone of three defenders. All hope seemed lost. I should have kicked the ball and gone for overtime, I silently said to myself. But wait, what's this? Eddie George was in the flat, uncovered. I pressed the correct button and my roommate went in for the kill. I bulldozed him with an expertly timed shoulder charge. He lumbered closer to the goal line. Another defender came forward. I spun off him and dived. A digital cloud of dust formed. But the ball crossed the line. I did it. I won. The game was over. The final score said it was 36-35. Cowboys win. My roommate roared in disbelief and threw the controller down and it exploded in satisfying bits of electronics, plastic, and metal. My roommate didn't talk to me for two days. Our silence was broken when I presented him with a gift box. Inside was a new controller with a note stuck on it. You can't coach that. Pretty good one, guys. Pretty good one, I'd say. That's great. Yeah. Pretty awesome. You ever have any uh, triumphs in uh, sports games, Sharif? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm not as huge of a sports gamer now, but um, back when I was younger, like my brother and I would play a lot of those early EA basketball games like Bulls versus Blazers and Lakers versus Celtics, you know, like like before they changed the name to um, NBA Live. And there were a lot of games where, yeah, it was, unfortunately, it was usually my brother making the comeback. Um, <laughs> so like, it's always the brother. So, so, yeah. So, like, I'm the typical younger brother, whereas my older brother was better than me in almost every game. Um, so, I, I honestly think sometimes he would let me get up just so he could come back and make it um, all the more crushing. But I definitely had those times where, yeah, there were a couple times where I was like, you know, like, uh, down by two and I went for the three at the end and made it and, uh, you know, just kind of ran off, uh, in my one, uh, rare, rare moment of like glory. And then he would end up hitting me or something. So yeah, you know, 
so yeah, this so- is uh this was sent in by uh, Pastor Matt. So thank you Pastor Matt for sending that in. It's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Um all right guys, uh it is time now for tabletop time. Tabletop time. Tabletop time. Right now, right now. I have the immense pleasure to be joined now by Dominic Krapuschetz, the illustrious board game designer. He has designed some of, I think, the best party games of all time, Wits and Wagers and Say Anything, among others. Uh, And just recently, last year, released his first sort of strategic game design uh, in evolution and that game is getting an update and a uh, an expansion uh evolution was one of my favorite games of last year it i i actually named it my very favorite new game that i played Woo! all of last year it's an amazing experience upgrading your creatures and having them try to eat one another and survive on vegetation depending on your point of view uh but dominic thanks so much for joining me i'm such a fan of your games so thanks for being on dlc yeah thanks for having me on i really appreciate it i'm glad i I hadn't heard that evolution was your favorite game last year it's really nice to hear yeah yeah i mean you know it's with board games it's hard to play everything in a year so I, i definitely had a lot of big big games that i didn't play but of the games i played Right at the top of the list, Evolution. It was so much fun, and I, my gaming group just loved it. So, uh, yeah. Um, so let's start actually right there and, and talk a little bit about your decision to make a strategy game. I mean, you've you've sort of made your name with uh, big party games that people love, but what made you decide to tackle a a more gamers game? Yeah. So so actually, reality is kind of tipped on its head here. I was originally, I mean, a strategy. Gamer. So I was a pro Magic player from '95 to um, I forget when I played my last pro pro tour, but maybe somewhere around 2000. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I did research about releasing strategy games and the numbers that they would sell, I got cold feet and decided I'd try to first design a game that I thought could uh, break into the mass market, and then later. If we had, you know, a, a constant cash flow that we could rely on, I could kind of do some of the games that were really close and dear to my heart. So Evolution is kind of my returning back to my strategy days, uh, and it's my first attempt at creating a, um, a, a like a full-fledged hobby game. And that's really cool. I, I think it's uh, – I, I wasn't aware that you were such a hardcore Magic player. That's so awesome. Um, I think that you've managed to create a, a very strong hobby game in Evolution, but managed also to keep it very simple and accessible for new gamers. And and I think that's a, a real tightrope to walk. There aren't a ton of rules in Evolution, and they're very clearly outlined. Uh, was that a goal in the design process? That's always a goal in my design process. So, so I want my games, regardless of the genre, to just be as embracing as possible. I want as many people as possible to be able to reach out to it and get into the game and enjoy it. So that, that's always my goal. Um, and it's so not an easy bring... thing to accomplish with, with, you know, the heavy strategy games. Um, oftentimes, you know, the rule set will be uh, daunting to most people. It is not easy. And <laughs> we, um, our task with evolution, which I think was even doubly uh, difficult because we put such an importance on theme Mm-hmm. So while we so we created a you know a real light uh, rule structure, 
where then we could have cards and kind of uh, the interesting synergies were between the cards and the way that the cards came out would kind of lead to different synergies and different scenarios. So that's where the kind of the, the replayability comes in. We tried to keep the rule structure uh, thin. And normally what that means is the game won't be thematic. And, right. um, and so what we ended up doing is we had hundreds and hundreds of cards that we would just throw out. Now, the mechanics are great. The game is awesome. The gameplay is balanced, but it just doesn't work thematically. And so to get to that one game where we that, that one card that had theme and was balanced and interesting, um, kind of that was that was kind of what we were shooting for. And that's that's when we had a home run is when we found that card. It's interesting to me because I didn't really make the connection beforehand, but I can I can see a bit of Magic the Gathering in evolution when you talk mm-hmm. about the cards and, and powers that the cards give you. Uh, I definitely can see the the roots there. Um, did did the theme come first for evolution? Did you say I want to make a game about evolving creatures first, or did the the mechanics come first? So actually, evolution has a history. We we um we basically inherited a game and then built upon their game system. So oh. the history of evolution starts with the history of evolution uh, <laughs> starts in Russia with a Russian biologist, and he designed a game to simulate kind of an ecosystem, he's an evolutionary biologist, to simulate an ecosystem for his students. And so it was more of a simulation than a game. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and then that was kind of uh, revamped by a Russian publisher and released as Evolution, colon, The Origin of Species. Right. Um, so, so we paid for the rights to use their underlying mechanics. We, we took a game which was a, was, was a great simulation and turned it into not only a hopefully a good simulation you know a very thematic but really the key is our game is supposed to be fun to play and easy to learn and so we turned you know that concept into a great game yeah i think the easy to learn part often is tied to how strong the theme is because i think once people have that context to wrap their head around everything makes more sense and when a game really works well within its theme things that work the way you think they should work the way you think they should <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? exactly yeah oh i have more higher population i need to eat more you know right. it's not a it's not if x is three then y should be yellow yeah yeah it's not uh, move three cubes over here it's get food into the mouths of my animals it's you know evolve to get up to, into a tree so that the thing on the ground can't eat me yeah it makes it makes sense yeah yeah um exactly so that's that's what we're shooting for is really difficult um, what you'll find is most of the thematic games in existence have lots of rules. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when, they're, when they find an exception, they're like, oh, well, let's just create an exception to the rule. So in this case, when the species has horns and this happens, then the scavengers do this. So, that, so they'll be littered with exceptions, and that's kind of how they make the games very thematic. Yeah. But that's, that hurts, in my opinion, gameplay, because what I don't want is players to be playing a game and then go, well, wait a minute, in this case, let's see how it resolves and have to look in the rules to figure out how things resolve. Right. Uh, um, so that's, that's part of why we had to throw out so many cards is they would resolve in funny ways, unintuitive ways. So um, what, what has the experience been? Uh, has it been different putting out a, a strategy game than putting out a party game? I mean, just from a business perspective, from a design perspective, has it been a fundamentally different process for you? Um, that's interesting. I, I'm going to say no. I think most hobby gamers don't realize the amount of time and energy we put into our party games. Mm-hmm. Um, we tested wits and wages with a thousand different people before it was released. Yeah. Um, and so actually I wouldn't say we did evolution with a thousand different people. 
Uh, but we tested it with, you know, 150 different people. And then we went deep. We tested it. I played the game, you know, up to 200 times, which with, with wits and wagers, we did the same, but wits and wagers is a shorter game. Mm -hmm. This is kind of an in-depth game. And, and, um, so I'd say the design process is, uh, is, is different in that, uh, replayability is one of the really key issues. Uh, so the depth and the replayability with hobby gamers is, is an issue, whereas a bigger issue when you're dealing with a party game is can people who are drinking come in and play <laughs> the game and learn it and have a great time? You know, are you yeah. facilitating fun social interactions? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Wits and Wagers certainly is that. I mean, I've, I feel like Wits and Wagers is my go to party game, especially if I have a large group. You know, it's it works so well when you team people up and you throw them together and, and there is some, uh, you know, liquid, uh, liquid joy on the table as well. It, it just works so great. Um, but yeah, it, you know, evolution is such a different animal than that. No pun intended. It's, um, it, it still works for, for the, the same types of people. I still find myself reaching for evolution to bring out to a group that isn't as versed in hobby games as other groups I play with because it is so accessible. But, um, but man, the, the party games, those work for people that literally don't know anything other than Monopoly and, and, uh, you know, Clue or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Um, so what has happened with evolution at this point? So you, you put out the game about a year ago and now there's a, uh, there's a revision and a new, uh, a new expansion, right? Yes. So actually we just launched our new expansion on Kickstarter yesterday. And uh, it will be live for the next uh, on six weeks. Mm -hmm. And basically, we're we the for the base game. You know, our level evolution was successful enough that we are betting very heavily on this brand as a brand that we're going to keep in our product line for the uh, hopefully the last ten years plus. Mm -hmm. So we're hiring uh, in-house development team to take it digital. We're basically dumping in. We're making a really big bet, probably about over a million dollars, which is which is a lot of money for our, our budget. Um, we're hiring right now three people that we've hired for the digital team, and we're cha changing it from like the board game evolution to the evolution game system. And we have we've been working on kind of a, a timeline for expansions to come out over the next ten years. Wow. And the first expansion is Flight, and it's introducing uh, basically avian creatures into the ecosystem. So there was already this ecosystem and uh, you can play this ecosystem hundreds of times and you'll, you'll continually learn new ways that things happen and new dynamics that take place. And now we're adding to that ecosystem, the ability for uh, creatures to, to pick up themselves and soar away and find food in a new place, get away from predators or even swoop down on predators from uh, on unsuspecting prey from above. Um, and that was kind of the, uh, the theme and the key that we really wanted to get. And we wanted to make sure that it mimicked kind of real life, which is uh, wings require a tremendous amount of food energy to, mm -hmm. to use. And, um, and the bone structures of birds have to be lighter. Uh, and so you really aren't going to find huge flying hippopotamuses right. because it's just not feasible. So we kind of, we wanted to create that same dynamic so that the, the animals that are at risk to a bird flying down are going to be small animals you know that want to burrow type of thing so are you 
I, part of the fun of playing evolution for me has been to create my mad scientist, you know, could never exist in nature creatures. Uh, is there, what's the balancing act between, you know, being true to science and making a game that also teaches you something as opposed to the wish fulfillment of making this, you know, crazy wacky creature. Um, yeah, that is one of the, that's actually kind of more of a byproduct of what we were trying to do. Um, because I didn't want to have a whole bunch of rule exceptions. Mm -hmm. There are inevitably going to be combinations that are, that are completely silly. And, uh, that adds to the humor of the game. And, And then you probably saw the silly names that we put on the back of the, um, player aids. Right. So you could create your silly named creatures. Um, I would say that was more of a byproduct. There's there's no way to create a simple rule set where everything just naturally happens due to gameplay. Like we created um I tried to create a rule set where you wouldn't get birds that had climbing. Right. Because it's just weird. <laughs> right. Um but every now and then it, it I mean it, it does. The system discourages it, so it very rarely happens, but every now and then you'll see it. And actually, to be honest, I never have yet. I've played flight maybe uh, fifty times. And I haven't seen a, a climbing avian creature yet, but I have seen a hard shelled avian creature. Mm-hmm. And and that actually comes out every now and then. So are and you thinking I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, that's it. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, are you thinking of evolution as, as, as almost like a living card game that it's going to uh, have these closed system expansions? You know, you said over the course of 10 years, are you thinking of it as, you know, a, like a dominion or a, you know, a net runner or something that's, it's going to have that kind of lifespan. Um, I think we're still formulating it. We, we definitely think evolution is the depth to, to, um, to hold itself in a tournament structure. So we want to move down that route and have kind of a tournament structure. Uh, so, so that we're doing mm-hmm. the living card game, I think is, uh, pretty much, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but that's pretty much just used for deck constructing games. And mm-hmm. it's, it's basically, this is magic, the gathering, except you're not getting random cards. You know, the cards you're getting ahead of time. Right. Uh, and I think it was originally addressing the issue that players had of, of, well, I can't be competitive unless I spend a lot of money. Right. And my senses, I'm not in that, the, in the living card game world, but my sense is that is no longer the case. It was addressing that issue, but now if you want to be competitive, you, you need to have a lot more money into the game. Mm-hmm. So, so our game is going to be fundamentally different from that because it's not a deck construction game. There are not rarities of cards. Uh, we're more like Dominion, where yeah. we will have expansions, and expansion could be standalone, or it could be coupled with other expansions. Um, the the way that we're different from Dominion, um, and and actually I haven't spoken to the developers of Dominion, so I can't guarantee how they were thinking about it. But I think of Dominion largely as more cards, mm-hmm. and then I can just choose which cards go into my Dominion. You know, I'm play with. Um, that is not at all the case of how we're thinking about our expansions. Our expansions are are have a very unique branded theme and feel to it. So flight will not just feel like, Oh, we have some new traits. It's going to feel like, um, birds are now a part of this ecosystem. And the next expansion that we're looking at is climate and disease. And it's, it's going to really feel like we're introducing climate into the ecosystem and diseases. Um, then we have a deep sea expansion, uh, that's planned for the future. And wow. And that's going to be, Completely, it's gonna, it, it's, they're really gonna have their own ecosystem. So, whereas the birds 
have an ecosystem where they eat the same food source on the watering hole as the land species, sea creatures really aren't. They're going to have a different food source. And there's going to be an amphibious trait, which allows kind of an interplay between the two food sources. If you So the sea creatures will actually be a, a standalone ex- set. Mm-hmm. But I, we're going to design it and balance it so that it can also be played if you want an epic game with um, you know, the, the original base set. Wow. So those are all the plans. That sounds so cool. I mean, I, I know I've been so complimentary to your games uh, this whole this whole time. I sound very um, in, in, <laughs> unimpartial, but I I really do love Evolution. It's so rare to find a game that is so uh, so fun to play, so vicious. You know, it could be a really vicious game too. <laughs> like uh, you know, it really creates that that player interaction that a lot of real strategy games don't have, but is also uh, educational. I mean, it's something that is accessible to young ages and it actually will kind of inform you. You get inside the systems. I talk about that a lot on this show about how games and interactive entertainment allow you to get inside systems. And I feel like I'm inside uh, the system of evolution. So I kind of understand like, oh, this is why natural selection worked in this way to create the the ability for this creature to not go extinct or you know not you know there wasn't intention there but it, it, that's how it worked out and in the same way when i'm playing i feel like oh i get it uh and it's so uh so exciting to have that be a fun experience as well mm-hmm. I, i'm excited about that too and i i can't take full credit for that that's really what i inherited from the evolutionary biologist in russia that, that put this together hmm. I, I i took care to not get rid of it but uh, that was definitely his doing. And in fact, here's something that I, that, which is really cool, I'm excited about. Uh, someone has already created a textbook to help teachers uh, with lesson plans. And evolution uh-huh. is part of the lesson plan uh, where you can bring the game and use it to introduce, like he has lesson plans built around playing the game in class and, and seeing how things work. Wow, that's super cool. That's really cool. Uh, so let me ask you a little bit about North Star Games. Uh, are is the company, are you, um, are there other designers besides yourself creating games for North Star? Are, is, is Evolution sort of the next big focus point? Uh, or are there other different games in the pipeline as well? Um, so Evolution is the next big focus point. So I, I look at that as a long-term brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to release a really fun, silly, goofy game called Happy Salmon. <laughs> uh, next year it is it's a 30 second high okay maybe a two minute high it's really fun is it like a micro game um it's like a cut no i wouldn't say a micro game okay it's a card game all right it's a mix between pit it's kind of like pit and i don't know some something else and <laughs> and fish and some and some fish. salmon based <laughs> game <laughs> it will definitely be turned into a drinking game we'll probably <laughs> even create a uh, uh a drinking salmon uh, version for like like an after dark happy salmon awesome. on kickstarter yeah it's um so they i don't know how much you care about that game but anyways that game is um not considered a brand in my head. And that's mm-hmm. someone else's design and we're going to license it. And that's probably a one-off, but we probably will have, you know, a drinking version and that's about it. So Evolution, I definitely think of it as like a brand. It's the Evolution game system and mm-hmm. we're going to support this brand for a long time. And I prefer, as a, as a businessman, I prefer an entrepreneur, you know, I prefer a brand, growing a brand than a one-off product. 
but um, but we we have done and we will do one off products. We just are going to give preferential treatment to to ones that we think can turn be you know really built upon into a long term brand. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, Wits and Wagers and Say Anything are still going strong. Wits and Wagers Party came out not too long ago. Are there new iterations of those? those brands that um yeah 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 so right now we are working on uh a geek edition well actually we're not working on it yet we're kind of we've laid the groundworks we're hoping to partner with will wheaton oh cool so if he hears this on the podcast he's gonna go what i didn't know that confirmed will wheaton involved (laughs) (laughs) but it is uh we are we're figuring, we're laying the whole groundwork and trying to figure out, you know, how we would work this type of thing. But that's, that's our hope and our, 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 maybe I should say at this point, a dream. But, but we definitely have other expansions that are planned. We're just trying to figure out what's the best way to launch them, to give them the, the best visibility and have the most impact. Very cool. Uh, let me ask you a little bit about games that you enjoy that aren't your games. Um, Magic the Gathering, we've heard, but, but what other types of games do you seek out and play just for recreational purposes? So I, uh, right. Used to play magic. And when I was a magic player, that was all I did. I wasn't, I wasn't a board gamer. I was a magic player. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, before that I was a board gamer, played lots and lots of board games. You know, my family is actually, uh, my mom's French. And so we, uh, we didn't watch much television and we played board games, I think twice a week. We had two board game nights a week. Um, so board games have been a part of my whole life and I've been designing them since sixth grade. Um, after magic, I really got into the whole Euro game scene and really, uh, and that's when I started getting more serious about marriage. And so I really, uh, appreciated the fact that I could play these games with my family and with my significant other. Mm-hmm. So right now, I mean, among my favorite games, really my favorite, like the games that I have most respect for and, and that are in my closet are the games that I can play with my non-gamer friends. So we're looking at Ticket to Ride, Seven Wonders. Uh, Carcassonne, Pandemic, uh, Dominion, Settlers of Catan. So that that brand. Yeah. When I go out with gamers, I probably seek out a little bit heavier games because I don't have the chance to play them as much. Mm-hmm. So they're not my favorite. I don't. In- they're really not my favorite. But but those are the games that I seek out with when I go out. So that'll be all the way up to Agricola. Agricola to me is a little bit heavier than I like. Too much going on. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, trying to think of what else is under there. Um, Princes of Florence was an old game that I liked. Puerto yeah. Rico, an old game. Mm-hmm. So, so that that level, just kind of a a little bit more complicated than Settlers, is is probably my sweet spot when I'm out with gamers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I still love uh, party games, of course. Like you say, Wits and Wagers is my go-to game with a huge crowd. I, I so my parents used to pay me to. Um, Fly out to Cal or pay for my plane ticket. Fly out to California and host their uh, New Year's Eve party. We would have a big, huge Wits and Wagers game show. Oh wow! That's set up awesome. with a mic and everything. Yeah, that's so cool. That is that is really rad. I think that it, Wits and Wagers is, works so well because uh, it it uh, the way I always pitch it to my friends is. Uh, every trivia game you've ever played is about whether or not you know the answer, and Wits and Wagers doesn't care if you know the answer. And I I think that is it relieves all the stress of trivia games for people. You know, it's, uh, it, it makes it so much more accessible and fun. Yep. Yep. And adding that element of luck where those every now and then you've got, you know, you get a big payoff is just makes it fun. Yeah. And, uh, what about video games? You, uh, did you grow up a video gamer as well as a board gamer? 
So, yes, I was an avid video gamer, much to my parents' chagrin back when they were new. Um, I remember playing Space Wars. It was the first thing I ever yeah. saw. It's a parlor. Uh, uh, very few probably people remember that. That was before Space Invaders. <laughs> right. uh, Space Invaders came out after I had a fishing job. So I'd go up to Alaska in the summers and, and um, work on, I think at that time, I think I was working on my, my mom's setnet site. So I'd come back with like $150, which was a huge amount of money. And I would spend most of it on quarters. <laughs> That's a lot of quarters. It's a lot of quarters. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm sure two thirds of that. So $100 in, over that year would get paid, you know, put into video games. Mm-hmm. Then that moved into, you know, uh, computer games, wizardry, the very first wizardry I played and solved, the second wizardry played and solved. I don't even know if your 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 listeners will even know wizardry. I, I know wizardry, so uh, <laughs> hopefully they know wizardry. I, yeah, wizardry, might magic, Ultima. Those were my jams. Bard's okay, yep. yeah, all those. I played all of them front yeah. and back. Um, how do you feel? I mean, obviously, you mentioned uh, taking evolution digital and 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 having a you know a mobile app and and really blowing that out and investing a lot into it. How do you feel about this convergence of digital and board gaming? You know, we're seeing, you know, XCOM, the board game and Alchemists and these games that are bridging the gap and and not just having one version as a video game and one version as a board game, but actually bringing them together into one experience. Are are you intrigued by that as something you want to pursue as a designer? Um, I guess, I guess I'm not. (laughs) I guess I'm not really. Um, I'm not against it. I think right now a lot of the games that are doing it are, are doing it because it's a new hook, a new yeah. uh, cool. And so, the, so they have a sales angle. And, um, and I'm very, very focused on every one of our games. Is this a game that I think is going to be around 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Can, will this game go past my lifetime? So I have a very kind of a past my lifetime viewpoint when I invest in a game. And so being just the latest and the greatest and cool because it's a cool little gadget isn't on our in kind of the our company's dna um but if i think of an idea where where just that's going to make it work perfectly then 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 it's a medium that i'm 100 percent for very cool well dominic i'm so glad you hung out with us uh i'm very excited to play more evolution and and these expansions have me salivating um tell me where people can follow you and how they can find out more about the game as well well, right now I would say go to Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm happy to say we are at thirty. I'm looking right now thirty five thousand dollars, and so it's been about a little over twenty four hours. Oh, that's great! So yeah, well, I'm I'm really excited. So how how do they find it on Kickstarter? So uh, on Kickstarter, it's a staff pick now, and it's called the Evolution Game System, and okay. it's uh, you can get the second edition Evolution, which is a, a revamp. Uh, and you can get the flight expansion, or, or one or the other or both. Uh, so that's the best place to look into getting information about evolution. Uh, it's also on Board Game Geek for those who are, are uh, do the Board Game Geek. Mm-hmm. And we have a website called NorthStarGames.com. And uh, you can get information there. Yeah. And you were kind enough to send me a copy of the uh, second edition and the expansion. So I'll be playing that shortly and talking about it on an upcoming episode as well. So people should uh, listen for that, too. But thank you, Dominic Krabbyshets. Thank you for being here. Um, Really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. Really fun talking with you. All right, man. All right. 
That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh, huge thanks to Sharif Jackson for being with us, man. You know, that was really fun having you on the show. Um, Thank you. yeah, we're going to do a, uh, a parting gift before we leave, but before we do that, tell the folks where they can find your awesome work this week. Sure. Um, so you can find my gaming videos at gaminglooksgood.com. Um, it'll link you to the webpage, which has the YouTube, uh, gaming series um i've done about eight episodes as of now and they're still going um and you can also go to sharifjackson.com for my science blog also the gaming stuff and at sharif jackson on twitter um i'm pretty much like sharif jackson on most social networks um and you could check out my podcast um at operation cubicle.net as well awesome and how about you christian what's going on with you this week so what's new is coming back. It's the stand-up comedy podcast. I do. It's going to be April 23rd, which I know technically isn't this week, but it's soon. It'll be at the Comedy Store, April 23rd. Tickets are just $2 if you're in LA. It's an awesome show where amazing comics work on new material, and then we sit down and talk about um, what worked, what didn't. Split Cider called it a must-listen for stand-up comedy fans. Uh, so yeah, it's had a lot of praise. People seem to like it. That's the next show is April 23rd. And um, my comedy album is still out. Thank you to everyone that checked it out. If you want to check it out, it's called Christian Spicer Moment in Time. And it's uh, you can find it kind of wherever um, MP3s are available. Mr. Kanata, aside from getting down and dirty while you were running, what do you mm-hmm. have popping this week? Are you going to try to kill yourself again or uh, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, people can find out what Christian is referring to. If you follow my Twitter and my Instagram, I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata. It's spelled with two N's and one T. Uh, also, um, doing the slash film cast. We're in, uh, reviewing a really fun, interesting movie you may not have heard of, and perhaps you did. It's a new Ben Stiller movie called, uh, while we're young. Um, that'll be coming up this week as well. And, uh, also we have concerns is still going strong. We have concerns.com for that show three times a week, only 20 minutes a day, uh, of funny. Um, all right, guys. So, uh, that's going to do it. Let's, uh, send you guys out with a parting gift. How about that? Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. I feel like all three of us had the same, uh, desire to talk about the same parting gift this week because everybody's talking about it because it's awesome. But I'm going to let you talk about it first, Christian. What's your parting gift? Um, so I just want to say, you know, go get a massage. There's a lot said. That's for like not it. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> so I mentioned it last week saying that it was coming out on Friday. And if you have Netflix or if you don't have Netflix and you have whatever it is, $10 a month of disposable income to sign up for Netflix or get a free trial for two weeks and just binge it. If you like comics at all or dark, gritty, crime, noirs, Daredevil on Netflix, it is incredible. So well done. Um, I would argue that it's one of the best representations of comics on film slash TV ever. And it's set best I'm TV show anything, ever for sure. Best comic book it, TV show of all time. No, no doubt. I would agree. It's, it's set in the larger MCU um, and the way that they justify and they make the world work in a world where Iron Man and the Hulk fly around is totally justifiable to me and viable. The actors performances are all phenomenal foggy is just the right amount of modern day foggy where you hate him, but love him. And, um, their take on Kingpin, I think is, is fascinating. It's really, really cool. I would definitely recommend checking it out. And after you finish it, I had mentioned it before. 
But if you haven't checked it out and you liked um, the series, Daredevil End of Days is an excellent, at one point, part of the official canon of how Daredevil dies. Now it's been retconned away. But it, it really fits this Netflix series really well. You could almost see the series ending and then 20 years later, End of Days is the end of Daredevil's days. They bookend each other very nicely. Um, so those are, man, Daredevil. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, any any Daredevil book written by Bendis, I would also recommend. Super good. Um, yeah, and in Frank Miller, if you can handle the Frank Millerness of them. Yeah. Sharif, I know you were uh, also on the Daredevil tip, but um, you have something else going on? <laughs> Yeah, Daredevil is awesome. Uh, it's it's so good. Um, yeah, so I would suggest if you are on um, either Twitter or Facebook or like Google Plus, check out the uh, hashtag NASA Social. Um, basically, what it is is it's a program where you know different space enthusiasts they like get together and they attend different space events. So like uh, right now, there's like a uh, SpaceX launch um, up to the international base station so there's a, a whole bunch of people there and, and they're sharing photos and they're talking to astronauts and like just in general like reporting and showing that enthusiasm um for the uh space program that you know we don't see as much or at least i don't see as much in like sort of the uh mainstream media um i was actually a part of a nasa social um and like i was able to see like the last shuttle launch i was able to go to nasa headquarters and a whole bunch of uh, things so like if like you're interested in like uh aeronautics or like planes or 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 like space or like just science um definitely check out hashtag nasa social if like you want to see cool space geeks talking about cool space geek things that's an awesome parting gift. Way better than Daredevil. I think that's, uh, that's super awesome. Um, and I just wanted to mention Christian kind of referenced it earlier. I did this thing called the down and dirty mud run, down and dirty obstacle run. I think it was called, uh, this weekend. Uh, if you saw, I put, posted a bunch of pictures and I think a couple of videos too on my, uh, on my Twitter feed. Uh, it was fun. I've never uh, done a, a mud run before. Well, that's not true. I did one for a TV show that I was doing. Um, but, uh, this was like a, a full on obstacle course, kind of like the Tough Mudder. It's what we did instead of the Tough Mudder. And, um, I had a blast. It was much, much more fun than I thought it was going to be. It really wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Uh, it was a blast. So I, I highly recommend that. It was called the Down and Dirty Mud Run. Uh, hashtag geeks in sneaks. All right, dudes, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thanks again to Shreve Jackson, Christian Spicer, the folks at Five by Five, all the folks that hung out in the chat room and helped us out today with uh, great commentary that's going to do it we'll be back here next monday uh, 11 a.m pacific time we'll see you then until that time think about what you put out into the world make it a better place